at a focus on the text, verses 4 through 7. And uh, let's see how the Lord leads us. I'm going to ask, we're going to go to prayer first, and then uh, we'll read our text, Romans 6, 4 through 7. But let's ask the Lord to take this time to strengthen us. Father, we come now before your throne to hear from you. Lord, these people are not here to hear me or what I have to say. They are here to hear from your word. Father, I ask for those who this day that are entangled in this world that they would see your freedom. Father, I would ask for those who live in the power of the resurrection that their hearts would be glad. But Father, I'd also ask for those who are under an old master, who are under a defeated foe, that today would be their salvation. Father, uh, you laid this upon my heart. I ask for your words. I ask for your wisdom. But Father, I ask that your spirit would strengthen my brothers and sisters. And Father, that your spirit would convict and release those under darkness. It is for you and you alone, my King, that we get our next breath. And Father, may this time be to your glory, to your praise in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen. Verse 4, chapter 6, the book of Romans. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. It's an amazing text, and I really don't have the, the privilege or the time to get into all that is laid out here. Uh, we would literally have to study the first uh, nine chapters of Romans to understand the full impact of this text. But I do want to share with you this text because we think about today a celebration of an empty tomb. Um, I had the privilege just uh, a month ago to be in the Holy Land, and um, I seen uh, a couple empty tombs, actually, um, not because the residents had arisen, it was because they were for tourists to look at, and I found that a little ironic, not, you know, I, I just don't see people coming to America walking through cemeteries. Uh, and yet that's part of what was going on there. Why is there a significance to the empty tomb? And I heard a message even this morning on the power of the resurrection and that uh, Muhammad is still dead and Buddha is still dead. And if you take all the religions of the land, their leaders, their founders are all dead. Our leader is not dead, nor is there a tomb. 
Those are good. I like that. I mean, I agree with that absolutely wholeheartedly. I agree with the what power does it take to raise the dead? That's an amazing understanding. I, I understand that completely. That uh, he who speaks existence into being, raising the dead is minor for him. But let me ask you a question. What does the resurrection mean to you? Because if you keep it in the third person, you're going to miss some. And you're going to miss this text right here. There's amazing stuff he lays out there. You have been buried with him by baptism into his death. It's a very simple statement. Baptism, baptimos, baptizo. It means to uh, immerse something for the purpose of identifying it. I have been identified with Christ. Death. His death. I understand that. Identify with that death. So that Christ, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Did you get that? It's not saying in the future you will walk in the glory, in the, in the newness of life, in the glory of the God the Father. It is saying at this point in time, you now have the ability to walk in a new life. Christian, he's talking to you. You who are lost, he's telling you what is out there and you have not embraced. And you reject. That's amazing stuff. It's not something that I am looking for. It's not something that I am pursuing. It is something that has already been given to those who would believe. And you know what? If a person is doing this, the whole world sees it. Absolutely. It's impossible to hide it. Why? It's a new life. Let me take you back a few thousand years. We had a little problem in a garden. Okay. We had perfection setting before us, and us in our infinite wisdom decided to, to kind of mess it up. Don't eat of this fruit, you will surely die. So, as just like any of our kids, you can have all of this, but I don't want you to have that. Which one will your children go after? See, nothing has really changed, has it? All right. Did you realize that once Adam ate of the fruit, there was an instantaneous death that took place? Just like that, that quick. He died. Did you know that? Well, no, he couldn't have because he had kids. No, he died instantaneously as soon as he ate of that fruit. He died to the things of God instantaneously. Why do I say that? Why would he think he could hide from God in the Garden of Eden? Unless he was dead to the things of God. Why would a person in this room today believe that they can do something and God can't see it? Unless they are dead to the things of God. So the fallen nature that is in men and women still exists today. It's alive and well. So when you read a verse like this and it says, You have been identified with his death. And you have been raised also that you will walk in a newness of life. Do you understand the ramifications of there? Because it says, verse 5, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Do you know what united means? 
It's so enmeshed together, you can't separate the two. Uh, Wayne, Wayne gives the best description of this. I, I, I'm still not sure about using it, but I'm going to. Uh, and if you just don't like the illustration, I'll, I have Wayne's phone number. You can call him. Uh, if you take and bake a biscuit, okay, uh, and listen, I don't know how to bake a biscuit. I don't know how to make a biscuit from scratch. My gift is eating, okay? But if you take all the ingredients, the shortening and flour and whatever else you have to put together to make the dough, and you, you make it into a little round thing, and you stick it in the oven at however many degrees you cook it at, when you bake that thing, when you pull that out of the oven, you got a nice golden biscuit, okay? How, can you separate that back to its individual ingredients? No. You can't. It's impossible. That's the term that is used there in verse 5. I'm a Jesus biscuit. Okay? You cannot separate a Christian from Christ. You can't separate the entity of the Lord Jesus Christ from the entity that makes up the individual. It's impossible. And he says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of the resurrection knowing that the old self was, past tense, crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Why? Verse 7, he who has died is freed from sin. Did you know that? Did you know that a dead body is freed from sin? A dead body can't sin? It's impossible. Did you know that? I didn't. Everybody's, everybody's stuck, been stuck with a pen? Anybody here? Nobody's been stuck. Some of you have. Some of you are not admitting to it. <clears throat> if you take that same pen and stick a dead body, what will that dead body do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know what? Even the person who was the dead body, they won't even be mad at you. Did you know that? That's amazing. They won't use profanity. They won't jump up and try to stick you with their pen. And that's the phraseology that is used here. And we struggle with this today, and I don't understand why, but yet perhaps I do understand why. There was an old life that everybody in this room used to be a part of. Did you know that? There's an old life that some of you may still be embracing. There's an old life that some of you are in, may be in and refuse at this time to step out of it because of whatever reason. And I want to deal with that old life. Chapter 1, verse 28. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, they gave, he, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are improper. There's a, a common characteristic of people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not thankful. They don't appreciate anything. Nor do they even give thanks to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for their next breath. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says to pray without ceasing. That would be a constant communion with God. It never ceases. There's never a, a break in the communications. Why? He is the provider, I am the recipient. When he provides, I thank him. When I am in a bind, 
I ask for help, and I'm usually in a state of panic. But what I've realized is, is that if I stay in communion with God on a constant basis, a state of panic is non-existent. It doesn't happen, regardless of what's going on around me. One of the things that I see consistent today is that there is no gratitude towards God. None whatsoever. Verse 32 of that same chapter says, Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same thing, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice it. You know what that means? As I sin, I like to do it with other people. Let's just all get into it. Why? Because if we're all doing it, it must be right. That's our old self. That's what our old self looks like. Our old self is, is in sin. Our old self doesn't want there to be a God, or we want God created in our image. Let me make him so that, you know, he is grace. He is love. And I'm just, you know, I'm just the problem child of the family. But that's not what this book teaches. This book and that text you see there beginning in verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, is dealing solely and wholly that there is no human being without excuse. Every human being knows there is a God by nature. Did you know that? You know, I can look around at creation and you're telling me it was random chance processes? Really? Just a big accident. A big cataclysmic event, and poof, here we have existence. And people tell me that I'm crazy in my faith. Someone who would believe that is just crazy. But yet that is a faith that they put it in. Let me show you what you used to be, some of you used to be. There may be some today who are still there. Turn to chapter 5, verse 14. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. All right, the sin, definite article of Adam, the sin of Adam is open rebellion to what God has said. Okay, that would be the definite article. God has said, and I rebel against it. That's definite article sin against Adam. All right? But it says death reigned. Have you ever thought about what that means? It reigns. When I see the word reigns, I think of a king. A king reigns. He has rule. He has dominion over it. And death reigned, had rule, had dominion over who? Every single human being. Today, look at it. How many of in this room fear death? How many would fear death? Think about it. Why do you have health insurance? Why do people get on uh, pieces of equipment to try to, to do something to prolong what? I live longer, but every joint and muscle in my body hurts. I, you know, and I'm not against it. My doctor's got me and my wife, and I used to think she loved me. But... Uh, you know, I, I talked to the doctor and I said, I don't want to live forever. That's not my goal. 
and nor do I need the agony sometimes of this life prolonged. But what do we do? You can't tell me that every single one of you in this room have a fear of death. I've seen it in you. I've seen it in you. If you've got kids today, ask yourself a question. Do you fear for injury and death of your children? Who reigns? Who rules? Man, do you see that? Did he raise Jesus from the grave? When I was in Israel, one of the things, and I'd warned my daughter, I knew this was coming. My daughter's been over there since January. I knew that this was coming, that everywhere an event in Israel happened, there's a church. Okay? I don't care what it is. They've got a church where Stephen was stoned. Okay? Now, I'm not... What's up with that? They've got a church in Gethsemane where there's a rock in the center of the church. It's a really cool building. I mean, it's a really cool building, but in the center of it is this rock. And then they got this thing around it so you can't get in it. And that supposedly is where Jesus uh, prayed and, and was sweating great drops and as mingled with blood on it. And, and then they have this altar behind it. And I said, if that's really the place where he prayed, who in the right mind would get behind it at a pulpit and try to preach something. Okay, I mean, if that's really the place, uh, they've got a tree, an olive tree, that a certain group of people will come and kiss this tree because Jesus leaned against this thing as he was preparing to be arrested. Okay, that's the way we are. All right, we've got something all over the place. I mean, everywhere I go, there's a church where the upper room is. There's a church where the tomb is. There's a church where Golgotha is. There's a, you name it, we got a church there. Why? Because the tomb's empty. We don't have a body. Do you understand what kind of force it takes to raise the dead? I've been around dead people. I've never seen one get up. And there's never any doubt in your mind that that person there is dead. And yet he raised the dead. And he's saying here in Romans, before you were under the rule of what? Death. What? Listen, you know, it comes to my mind when I think about Peter. And he denied Christ in the courtyard. Okay, they're taking him between Fort Antiochus, uh, no, Antonio, and between Caiaphas's. Uh, lodgings to take Jesus and try him. They're moving him back and forth, back and forth. Peter's hanging around. And Luke tells me at one instance, Jesus looks across the courtyard on his third denial when he's taking an oath that he didn't know him. And they make eye contact. How could Peter deny the Lord Jesus Christ? Scared of death. I'm afraid to die. And of course, we in our infinite wisdom would say what? Well, Lord, how can I preach your gospel if I'm dead? He's never seemed to have any problem. But death reigns. Death reigns over the old self. Go to chapter 6, verse 6.
knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. What else reigns? It says right there, so that we would no longer be what? Slaves. We don't like that word, do we? Slaves. We get mad about that. I mean, we get mad about it today. You know, you, you get black people get mad at white people because of slavery. I, I've never had a slave. Ever. I've been the slave. But I, I've never had a, a slave. We, we don't like that word. It's, it's a bad word. We, we know it's a bad word. We're a free country. No, we're not. Well, no, we're not. Come this week, what is it, Wednesday, Thursday, our lords are demanding their pound of flesh. Are they not? I'm still sweating mine. I'm getting ready to give up my citizenship. Well, I am. I'm going to look at him and say, you know, my citizenship's in heaven. What do you think? Yeah, go ahead. When your king comes, he can get you out of our prison. Um, <laughs> I was a slave to sin. I've never met a person who's not a slave to sin. What's the center of sin? I. There's an amazing word in the Greek. I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again so you don't forget it. Epsilon, gamma, omega. Wonderful word. It's always translated I. You know how it's pronounced? Ego. Do we have a problem with egos in this country? I've never seen a person in my life, 47 years, I've never met a person with a low self-esteem. I've seen people so wrapped up in themselves that they have become tumultuous in and of themselves because they have so focused on themselves and nobody else is. And therefore, we have to have some kind of counseling. No, man, I've never met anybody who's not wrapped up in themselves. Who masters them? Sin. Sin masters them. They are slaves to it. They strive after it. They're willing to lose sleep over it. They plan over it. It consumes their thinking processes. It consumes their attitudes. It consumes their actions. Who's ruling? Sin is. And all the time in the middle of that, I have this other ruler, death. And he's playing his game. He wants to rule over. He wants to frighten me. If you don't do this, you could die. If you don't do this, you could die. But I want to do this. Why? Because it feels good, I think. Chapter 7, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to what else? Law. Definite article. Now he's getting specific. I'm dead to the law. What bound me? The law does. Don't you think so? Have you ever... uh, seen some of the speed limit signs that they have on certain stretches of highway and wonder why they have it so slow? That uh, Founders Parkway, that four lane that cruises around over there, what were they thinking? I mean, it's just this side of being a drag strip, and we're going to make you do 40. 40? I can do 40, but my, my thought processes become evil. I know you guys don't do it. It's four lane. It's concrete. There's nothing out there to hit. Nothing can happen. 
And so what do you find yourself doing? Anybody here, uh, you get on the interstate. Now, let me ask you a question. I, and I, you don't have to raise, I don't want nobody to raise your hands or anything. Okay. But when you get on the interstate, uh, I've been down to New Mexico. And once you clear Raton, wow. Okay. I mean, you can literally put the seat back and go to sleep and leave it on. You know, if you've got good aligned car, don't do this if you're, and you've got strong faith. Um, you know what? Don't any of you do this because you, you end up in the presence of my king's in. But Terry said, uh, and I've got enough to worry about. Um, but it, it, the speed limit is 75. Anybody here like to push the cruise control to 80? How about 84? Okay, because they don't normally get you till 10 over, right? Is that what I hear? That's what I read somewhere. I wouldn't do anything like that. Okay, but you go to 84, 83. Okay, I had a little red rental car one time. Uh, I don't know, it was a little sporty thing, uh, two-seater. And I always ran right about 76, 77, because I also read that little red sporty cars, police like. <laughs> and I, I wasn't trying to evangelize any police officers. Why do we take it, here's what the law says, and push it? Why do we do that? Because as soon as you tell somebody, don't do this, what's the response? What's the response? You know, I, I, I've watched our state after Columbine and a few other things that have happened. And there's a push now that we want to put uh, the Ten Commandments back in the school. Okay, the, I don't know, some kind of thing in the school. Ever ask yourself why? If you start with number 10, America doesn't even do well with that one. Thou shalt not covet. Okay? I'm not even going to deal with one. Because let's say I don't steal anything. Let's say I don't lie. I bring false witness against anybody, a neighbor. I'm, I'm not going to lie, uh, gossip about somebody. I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to commit adultery. Uh, a couple of them things I can do. Honor my parents, you know, I'll honor them. If they would just hurry up and die, I'll honor them more, right? Something like that. You guys act like I said something that nobody else thinks of, and I got news for you. I know how you good people are. I are one of you. But I watch people do that. What do you do with number one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What do you do with that one? Want me to make it personal? Some of you believe in the tithe. Do you tithe your time? Do you give 10% of your time to the Lord? Just a question. What happens when the law, when someone puts a law up in front of you? What is your normal response? Why would I do that? Who's ruling you? The law. I was thinking about um, my wife has a cat. She does. Yeah. And they named, somebody named that cat Moses. And the cat seems to think he's a holy man. But as I watch this cat go through the house, my question no longer is, is this my wife's pet? I'm thinking that my wife is the cat's pet. Oh, and my son, my youngest son. 
Because it would seem to me like that cat has a greater dominion over their lives than they have over that cat's life. I want to go out. I'll stand out here by the door and make this horrifying noise until somebody lets me out. Who's ruling? Okay. If I'm outside and I want to come in, I'll sit outside the window and make this horrifying noise. But I have the window there, so, and sometimes the reaction isn't quick enough to this cat. And so the cat does one of those uh, little things you see in cars. Bing! Sticks on the screen. Okay? Now he's got the wrath of me up because I know who has to fix the screen. And I have a squirt gun for this season, and me and the cat are going to have more fun than the cat ever dreamed. Okay? Who's in control? The cat is. I'm glad my wife admitted it in front of you witnesses. Because I have brought this to her attention and she said, I've got news for you. All right, when the cat throws up, who cleans that up? I ain't cleaning it up anymore. I got a blind, deaf dog. Get that, would you? See, he's blind and he's deaf. So, he, hey, golly, he's feeding me. So, so the old self is under the dominion of death. Death reigns in our life. The old self is under the dominion of sin. Sin rules. Absolutely rules. The old self is under the dominion of any law that comes crashing across our, our, our path, immediately takes charge of us. And we immediately begin a conflict, correct? All right, that's what, you know, I, I'm not doing this text any justice. I mean, this is one of the most massive, wonderful books of the Bible that I've ever seen. But what does the resurrection mean if I'm walking in the newness of life? Does death reign over me? Go with me to chapter 3. Um... Verse 24. Uh, Let me set it up. Verse 21. Up until 20, he's dealing with sin, whether you're religious or whether you're not. He basically gets everybody. All right? Then verse 21, he says, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. All right? So the law, the written word of God, and the prophets, the prophetic words of God in the, whole, the Old Testament um, have bore testimony to, the, to who Jesus Christ is. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believed. And there's no distinction. Okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right? But he gave you salvation there in verse 22. For those who would believe, whether you're religious in your background, whether you're uh, non-irreligious, whatever that would be, pagan, all right, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, all right? I want to look at the word redemption. I like that word. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible, redeemed, redemption. You know what it means? To be bought off the slave block. So I used it. In the writing of the book of Romans in that age, there are probably more slaves in civilization than you and I could ever dream of. 
Somewhere in excess of 75% of the population is in some slavery under Roman authority. All right? So when he says, you have been bought off the slave block, let me ask you a question. If you're a slave standing on the auction block, what can you do to get yourself off that block? Not a thing. Not a thing. And whoever bids the highest price for you gets you. What part are you? Are you sure about that? I see Christians today who believe they've been partially bought. You're not bought on time. Jesus Christ is not making payments on you. You have either been redeemed or you haven't. You have either been bought from an old master who was death, sin, and the law, or you haven't. And you know what? Those are the easiest people in the world to see. Why? Because the rest of the world is under an old master, and I know him well. Jesus Christ bought me, it says, and it was a gift by his grace, the redemption he bought me. Why? Verse 25, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. I love that word. I can't say it. I love that word. You know what it means? Because he bought me off of the slave block, I'm now in the mercy seat. I now have mercy. You know what? This is basic Christianity 101. There's not a Christian in here that shouldn't know this. Not only know this, live by this, cherish this, rejoice in this, and it should thrive through their life. Why? I've been bought out of slavery. I have been slid into the mercy seat of the blood of Jesus Christ. How much mercy do I have? Anybody here have a guilty conscience? Then you're saying that Christ's mercy seat isn't enough. You're saying that something you did, he can't forgive. And all I'm telling you is you're still on the block. Perhaps you're trying to get off the block. Perhaps you're trying to buy yourself out. But by him buying me off the block, I immediately received the absolute unmeasured mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Read on. His blood through his faith. This is demonstration of his righteousness. Because of the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. We've been redeemed. Why? Look what he says. Verse 24. Being justified. You get that? There's a process that happened at your conversion. When you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I was bought off the slave block. Second of all, by Christ buying me off the slave block, I have entered the mercy seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mercy seat in in the book of uh, Hebrews. He's the mercy seat. He's my mercy seat. But he also justified me. Why? Because I am now no longer under this master. Who master was that? Death, sin, the law. No longer have mastery over me. I'll show you this. Watch this. He slides me into the mercy seat. Okay? 
after the mercy seat of Jesus Christ, he can present before the judge, the God the Father. There he is. And I can stand just. Just! Do you get that? Do you know that if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery? And if you break any part of the law, you are condemned by how much of it? All of it. But now, because I've been bought out of slavery, because I've gone through the mercy seat, which is Jesus Christ, I stand before God innocent. Innocent. Not only that, I have a perfect high priest seated at the right hand of the Father, an advocate, a lawyer, if you will. I'm sorry to use that word, but, well, I don't know if he wants to be called a lawyer. But who is on my side, and any time I fall down, he says, put that one on my account. Just like that. Just like that. Do you understand? What I want you to understand out of this I'm not waiting for this process. It's instantaneous. It's instantaneous. And then I got to give you the last one. Chapter 4, beginning of verse 22. Okay, he's using the illustration of Abraham and Sarah of faith. And it was a faith apart from what? The law. Why? What law would Abraham have? None. There you go. Good job. All right. The law was 400 years yet to come. All right. Here's what he says. Therefore, also it was accredited to him as righteousness. What? Believing in God. All right. How did he believe in God in the illustration here? Simple. When your body is completely, absolutely impossible for you or your wife to bear a child... I will give you a child. Why? Who gets the glory? Let me tell you something. If God has got you in an impossible situation right now, be thankful. Why? Who's going to get the glory? Okay, now if you want to be crazy, go ahead and try to grab it yourself. But Abraham and Sarah got taken to the place where they absolutely impossible for them to take any credit for it. And yet that time he says, I still believed. All right, look what he says. And it was a crown to him as righteousness. Now look what he says, verse 22. That is the summary. Therefore refers to what was being given. Also, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only, was it written that it was credited to him, but it is for our sake also. So also to whom it will be credited. That, you know that word there, credited? Okay, it literally means to impute something, to stick it in. I received an email from my daughter. She's getting ready to go on spring break, and she needs some imputation. Um, she's going to Rome for spring break, and she needed her father to impute into her account funds so she could go to Rome. Okay, and I told her, call on Abba Father and see how he does. <laughs> um, didn't work. Uh, God says, I thought you were going to do it. And I said, I thought you were. Um, but it means to, to put to the account. But I want, I want you to watch it because this is way massive than that. All right, it was credit to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credit as to those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
He was also delivered over because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. Okay, do you understand what just happened there? Jesus Christ suffered something on your behalf, my behalf, all right? The justification that was necessary there was not for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does not need to stand before God the Father justified. He is just. Okay, you've got that. We all understand that. So it was for our justification, all right? It was a credit. It was put into my account. The justness of Jesus Christ is where? Where is it? Read your Bible. It's in all you who would believe that God raised him from the dead. You get that? You understand that? You're celebrating a holiday. You're looking for eggs and eating chocolate and, and all the rest of it. Do you understand as you go look for your eggs and eat chocolate and pick out different flowers this time of year than any other time of the year that all that Christ is is in you? Did you know that? Do you live that way? That's the resurrection, brother and sister. That's what you celebrate this holiday for. It isn't the fact that he's not in the tomb. The fact is, you're not in the tomb. You don't even have to go in the tomb. Jesus suffered something you can't ever suffer. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I never, ever have to experience that. Ever. Not only that, he's taken me off the slave block. Go to the book of Hosea. And he bought Gomer off the slave block and she was already his wife. That's you. That's me. I'm his creation. I've been bought off the slave block. Not only that, I have been under the mercy seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. At that very time, I can understand before a holy God, his justice was satisfied on the cross of Calvary. And right now, I stand absolutely right standing with a holy God in every aspect. When he looks at me in the united with Christ, what does he see? A Jesus biscuit. That's right now. That's the resurrection, brother and sister. Yes, I understand. It's an empty tomb over in Israel. I've seen all the places that they say this. We think and this could be. You know what? <laughs> I watched people. They've taken a slab of rock and they took a concrete saw and they s- sawed this slab off of this tomb. Okay? And they pulled this rock off. And supposedly this is where they laid Christ in the tomb. Now they got this thing laying out in the middle of this church building and it's got incense hanging around it and these candles and all the rest of it and I literally watched man after woman after man after child uh, run in and lay down and kiss this rock and smooch this rock and lay on this rock and cry on this rock and grab this rock and wash this rock pray to this rock and I'm sitting there going he ain't there can't you see he's not there and I thought my Don't you understand what you have in Christ? Why would you kiss a rock? I don't understand that. I just flat out don't understand that. I have the newness of life. Why? Because I identify with his burial. 
I also have crucified. The only time I ever get into trouble, you know what, is when I don't want to be crucified. That's it. I don't want to die. I want to do something. And you know what? God gets on me about it. Now I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Now listen, we are in a day and age in, this, in, in our society. And it's got all kinds of really cool names. Somebody sits around and thinks up cool names. Uh, but they make a lot of money thinking up cool names. And that's the downfall of my ministry. I've never been strong gifted in the cool name department. Okay? Uh, I mean, people want mentors. I want to make disciples. I know it's old-fashioned, but it worked for the disciples. Okay? And, but we're in, a, we're in a day and an age. Uh, I had a Ru- Russian pastor one time tell me, he says, what's amazing about your country is, is that you've inoculated against the gospel. And I thought, what? You've vaccinated against the gospel. Why? You've told people... In the passion of a, of a sermon, a God-inspiring sermon, if you say this prayer, you'll be saved. Okay? There's a bunch of people who have that mentality. Let me tell you something. People who are saved are easy to spot. People who are not saved, therefore, would be But what happens today if you question a person's salvation? They prove without a doubt they're not saved. (laughs) They try to crucify you. Have you ever thought about that when you ask a person? But you know what we've managed to do? I heard it described this way. It's the hermeneutics of humility. I know, sometimes I listen too much. Okay? It it is, I am too humble to be able to understand the Word of God. Okay? Then why do you give it to us? I don't understand that. And what happens out of it is, is that if you find a man of convictions, a man who uh, labors to rightly divide truth, what happens to him in our society today? Do you know, have you ever heard of the word discrimination? Do you know that in my generation, when I can remember back, that used to be a good thing, a discriminating person? Did you know that? Do you know that in my generation that changed from being a good attribute of a person to a bad attribute? Why? There's a whole bunch of reasons why. But the fact of the matter is, is truth is still truth. And in light of truth, my question for you today are, which side of the grave are you in? Are you reign ruled by death? Are you afraid of death? Does death bother you? How about your children? How about sin? Does sin take over and drive your bus? How about the law? Are you busy? I'm doing all these Bible studies so I can take the law and... And what? What are you going to do with it? Smack somebody in the head with it? That's all you're going to end up doing. Because once you lift that bugger up, you're either going to swing it or it's going to fall on you. Okay? Or, do you understand that you have been bought off the slave block? Do you understand that you have the mercy 
of the Lord Jesus Christ that you stand just before a holy God and all that is in Christ has been put into your account. If you do, I see it. Why? Because there's a change of nature. You're not natural anymore. Romans 8, beginning in verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. If you have your mind set on the things of the flesh, can you hide that from me? Can you hide it from... Yeah, I can hide it from you because I'm only going to see you for about another 10 minutes and I'm out of here. Can you hide it from your spouse, from your brother, your sister, from your loved ones? Can you hide it from your coworkers? Let me ask you a question. When you get passed over for a promotion in your line of work, what raises up? What does everybody see? Do you try to balance your life? I'm trying to balance it. What are you balancing it on? I absolutely do not balance my life. Ask my wife. Gets me in trouble. I have one thought, one pattern, one line, like this. That's narrow. That gets me into trouble. I'll admit it. All right, but you know what I found? If I seek his kingdom, his righteousness, he says, how much will be added unto me? All things. I can't balance it. Think about what I'm supposed to do. I have oversights of the souls of this church. I am supposed to be rightly dividing truth and to to present myself a worker not ashamed before a holy God. I'm supposed to uh, take care of my wife and my kids. I'm supposed to take care of whoever comes into my path who may be in need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And other than that, I need to sleep sometime. How do you balance that? You don't. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let God take care of the rest. And you know what? He has honored that. Those who live opposite of that live according to the flesh. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, um, do these things that you have seen and you have heard in me. Okay? The reason that some of you don't make disciples are is, is not because you're not willing. It's because God don't want any more of those. Why? I don't need more flesh trying to get into the kingdom. Look what he says back in our text. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What does that mean? What is my thinking process? What is my conscience focused on? Think about it. Grab it. You really need to hear this because I'm talking about the resurrected life that is for the child of God now. I'm not waiting on a resurrection. I'm talking about now. That's what Paul says. I'm not thinking about, well, if I could marry this person, or maybe if I could get rid of this person, that I know it is now. It is now. For the mindset on the flesh is death. Who rules? Death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, because the mindset on the flesh is what? Did you read that? Do you understand that it isn't something that just sort of, that God is displeased with? Do do you see what it's saying there? It ain't saying, well, you know, the mindset on the flesh, you know, just kind of gives God indigestion. It says it is hostile to God. 
It would like being dressed up. If you were to, to, to dress up in your best military fatigues, okay, your, your best set, and walk through Fallujah, what would be the response? Hostility. It'd be a very short walk. That's what he's saying. If your mind is obsessed with the things of the flesh, what happens? You're hostile toward God. And you know what? If a child of God has that mindset, that is a term- tormented soul. And you can see them. They're the ones that walk around with their heads all wrinkled up. Legalistic, self-righteous, whatever you want to call them. I know when a child of God is focusing on the flesh because they are flat out miserable. But here's the scary part. I see people who take the name Christ are affiliated with the church, Bible studies and things like that. And yet, if you watch their life, the pattern of their life, they look just like the world. And yet, they're never uncomfortable. That is a person who is deceived. Verse 8. Well, let's finish up our thought here. It does not subject itself to the law of God, or for it is not even able to. Okay? Verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All right, have you ever seen people in their own strength trying to please God? Wow, pitiful thing. And you know what's really pitiful about it? If you try to explain that to them, they become angry. You know what? I have been accused of being a legalist, and I've been accused of being a liberal. been accused of being an antichrist too but we won't go on that i've been accused of a lot of things but i'm sitting there going you two need to get together i was thinking of two individuals in particular you two need to talk because you think i'm liberal you think i'm self-righteous you need to get this worked out because obviously whatever my problem is has befuddled both of you but do we understand that why i'll show you in a second let's read this song all right however you are not in the flesh and But in the spirit, if, remember what I told you? When Adam ate of that fruit, there was instantaneous death. He was dead to what? To God. God is spirit. He was completely dead to it. He had no concept. If he had an idea, why would he think he could go hide from him? I mean, he'd only been hanging with him in the cool of the afternoon, and he understood that everything that was there, God created. Why? Because I named it. I mean, it wasn't like there was this, this non-understanding relationship. Read on. All right. If anyone, all right. However, you are not of the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Listen, I know there's a big mainline movement to push that you get saved and then possibly you'll get the spirit over here and you can become a disciple. That text says that's a lie. Okay, if you do not have the spirit of the living God, it says you're not his. It's, that seems, I mean, I don't think you have to really work, do you really have to struggle with interpretive problems in that? Um, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies to his spirit who dwells in you. I'm going to close with that thought right there. 
Are you in a mortal body today? That, can't, that ain't that hard a question to answer. Do I need to just shoot somebody and say, see, now, mortal. I, I don't, there, is that that? Yeah, I mean, all right. We're, we're all agreeing that most of us in this room today are in mortal bodies. Some of us, we're still trying. I don't know if I'm mortal or not. And it ain't a trick question. It's, I'm asking a question. From the dead, he will give life to what? When? John's Gospel 1010. You guys seen the movie? I haven't seen, well, I've seen the movie, but I read the book too. John's Gospel 10 says, I have come to give life and life abundantly. He wasn't lying to us, was he? Okay, does that mean when I die? Well, when I die, I'm pretty sure that no longer is a mortal body. Now, I might be wrong. So if I have this life, when do I have it? Right now. Let me tell you, saints of God, when you are in the spirit of the living God, the mortal body and the life that Christ has put into that body is evident to all men. And it can't be hidden. Not only that, it gets brighter and brighter, bigger and bigger. If that's not happening, then you are a slave to death, you are a slave to sin, and you are a slave to the law. Okay? You're not saved. Sorry. I didn't mean to ruin your Christmas dinner. But what you just looked at says, I have identified with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have been, past tense, raised to walk in the newness of life today. I am alive to the things of Christ. I am sensitive to the things of God. They become an obsession with the child of God. Why? Because I realize that I've been bought off the slave block. I have been put into the mercy seat of Jesus Christ. I have been justified before a holy God who can't even have a sinful thought cross his mind. And all that Christ is, is in my account now. Hide that. How do you hide that? It's impossible. All right? For a Christian... I'm not going to go through the verb tenses and all the rest of it, but for a Christian, for you to sin, it's a willful choice. I've decided to. For a lost person, they stay in sin because they have no idea how to do anything else. It's that simple. And when a Christian sins, all he's saying is, God, I think I want this more than I want what you have to give me. And I'm willing to negate your blessing on behalf of a temporal whatever. And Christians do that. Christians do that. So, uh, Spiros Zodiades had the privilege to spend some time with him, and he says in his understanding of the church, church history, never in his life has he seen the church so haughty. Uh, haughty? What the heck is haughty? So I went and looked it up. Puffed up, prideful, arrogant, boastful, and the church is today. Okay, if the church is, why? Because the people in it are. And if the people in it are, either... They are willing to forfeit what God has given them or they're not his. It's that simple. Newness of life. 
now in my mortal body. Right now. Everything that God is has been put into my account. How do you hide that? Better yet, why would you negate that? I don't know. I don't have any idea. You have been raised. If you're a child of God today, grave has absolutely no influence over you. Sin has absolutely no influence over you. Law has absolutely no influence over you. The only thing that has influence over you is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Anything else is a willful decision because I liked my sin. I liked what death did for me. Or I like the law. I like the do's and don'ts of life. Those are your chance. Those are your options. The old life, the new life. Some of you may still be in an old life. Jesus Christ today is offered to you. It's a free gift of salvation to all who believe. But it will cost you everything. Why? You're being bought from an old master. It will cost you the rule of death in your life. It will cost you the rule of sin in your life. It will cost you the rule of law in your life. That's your options. You who are entangled today, it is already finished. It's done. Come away. Get out of the grave. Walk in the newness of life. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word, for your spirit, for your precious bride, your church. Lord, may we understand what was, uh, what the apostle Paul gave us here. Uh, Father, who is adequate? Yet, Father, I, I, I pray that what I said was what you would have me say. Lord, uh, when I think about where man was, Father, I think about what you have given. Why would I sacrifice that? Father, I beg your help and your forgiveness in times that I do. Yet, Father, I pray that you'll continue to draw me in a way that others would crave what I have. Father, I pray for this body of believers, that those who are entangled, Lord, in the ways of the world, the things of the world, the philosophies of the world, that today, Lord, would be the day of their salvation, that you'd set them free from it, and they would understand that they have a new master, that they are under a merciful master, that, Father, that they stand just before you, and that, Father, all you are is already in their accounts. Father, those who are slaves to sin, to death, to the law. Father, may you this day free them. Open their eyes that they may see Christ. Father, a glorious day, the resurrection, the penalty paid. But Father, more glorious, more amazing is that we who believe Stand on the glorious side of the tomb. To your praise in Christ. Amen.